Welcome to Conversations with Chuck Hester, a weekly podcast designed to inform and entertain you and introduce you to some really interesting and inspiring people. I'm your host, Chuck Hester. And my special guest today is Joe Paluzzi. Joe, I've got to do the introduction first, man. Joe is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, podcaster. He's also the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, the leading content marketing educational resource for enterprise brands. But before it was popular, Joe actually used the term content marketing back in 2001. Hard to believe, Joe, that's 20 years ago. Now the fastest growing internet marketing industry. He is considered, this is my term, but I know it's used by other people, the godfather of content marketing. Joe currently works with several organizations, including the Orange Effect Foundation, which delivers funds to children and families for speech therapy services and technology. And his book, the definitive book on content marketing, Content Inc., Starting a Content First Business, Building a Massive Audience, and Becoming Radically Successful with Little or No Money, is now available in a completely updated and expanded second edition. And it is the number one new release in marketing for small business and Amazon. And his latest venture is The Tilt, an email newsletter delivered twice a week, dedicated to helping the lonely content creator turn their business into a content empire. Joe Paluzzi, welcome to Conversations. Chuck, thank you for having me. You know, you started this off with with saying you had interesting people so hopefully yes. we'll make, hopefully i'll make the grade on that one and oh I, I, you know, I, think, conversation. I think you're right up there my friend i mean and and we really need to talk about some origins here we were off you know as i do with pre-show talking about how you and i have known each other for a while but uh you came out to where i'm about to relocate back to raleigh north carolina to an american marketing association uh keynote that you did which was awesome and I came up to you and I said, Joe, love your stuff. Uh, content marketing world, how I get involved. That, believe it or not, was seven years ago. And since then, I've, I've seven years in a row have moderated the keynote track, which honestly is kid in a candy store as far as I'm concerned. So I'm uh, looking forward to doing it again this year in September in person back in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, I know it'll be, it'll be great to get back on the road and, and actually see people in real life. So I, yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. And I guess... They've told me I have the opening keynote, so I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to take the stage again. It's been a long time <laughs> since yeah, it, it's <laughs> February of 2020 since I was on a stage. So yeah, and you and you and I have mutual uh, speakers, friends that we talk about, and several have been on the show, and they're all posting all over the place of Hey, on an airplane for a change in front of a live audience, you know, all of that stuff that goes along with that. So I'm, I'm really excited to be part of that and get a chance to talk about that. So. Obviously, a good percentage of this conversation is going to be about one of my favorite and your subjects, content marketing. So, you know, I, I have always used a joke, and you may not have heard this, but I'm a journalist by, by education, graduating USC, and I've been a marketer for 35 plus years. So I guess I'm a content marketer is how I always like to put it. But talk to me about, you know, evolution. 2001, you started using content marketing. How did that, that come about? Uh, and and talk about the evolution of where it's gone since. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to give the short, interesting story of that. I started my, my publishing career in 2000, and I was lucky enough to fall into the custom media division at a large independent business-to-business publisher called Pent Media. 
And I didn't know anything about custom media, custom publishing, custom content, Chuck, but I fell in love with it immediately because I was like, okay, well, instead of advertising and instead of interrupting our customers, we can deliver valuable, relevant, compelling information to them on a regular basis in order to create some kind of behavior change. And I said, oh my gosh, this is it. I think this is the greatest thing. The problem is, is I got into the sale. So I started in the project management side uh, we would do like custom magazines and then the blogs and whatnot. But then I got into the sales side, Chuck. And the problem was when I was getting in front of these, the chief marketing officers of some very large business to business companies. And you said, oh, uh, I'm in the custom publishing business. They were already sleeping. Like they were like, oh, custom publishing. I don't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. But it went, I tried out a couple different terms. I tried branded content and then I tried uh, corporate communication stuff, a little model there. And then I said content marketing. And I every time I said content marketing, Chuck, they like they kind of squished up in their chair and they said, oh, yeah, we do content marketing. Of course, they didn't know what that meant, but they said anything marketing they should be doing. And that's when I learned just like search engine marketing, direct marketing, social media marketing, in order for it to be interesting to marketers, you have to call it marketing. So we said, okay, let's, a lot of people didn't like it. I said, let's present this thing as content marketing. And as soon as we did that, Chuck, things just took off. And then of course left that position in 2007, started what became the Content Marketing Institute because as you know, Google came along and then you had all the social media, you had all these pipes and these pipes needed amazing content. And most of these organizations, it was a new muscle they weren't used to using. They need a lot of education and training. And we said, well, let, let's go ahead and be the education and training arm. And uh, of course, as you know, started Content Marketing World in 2011. And I pretty much dedicated the last 20 years to helping marketers figure out how to create audiences and then monetize those audiences by not interrupting, but delivering valuable information. Yeah, yeah. fascinating as, as how that's that's evolved. And that's one of the things I wanna to talk to you about. Um, so content marketing changes to a certain extent. And, you know, I, I'm in an agency in Raleigh these days, and, you know, we have clients that come in and say, as usual, most people hear this, I need content on Twitter. I need content on Clubhouse. I need content, whatever it may be. How has the, the evolution of channels, if you will, because originally, I mean, I've, I've been on LinkedIn, for instance, since 2000 and golly, four, something like that, three or four, uh, 15, 17 years, something. And, you know, so, but then in 2007, approximately, uh, they came out and basically said, we're going to be a content marketing platform for business to business. And so that evolved. And then, you know, Twitter comes along and Facebook comes along and uh, Instagram and all of the other things that are out there and available yeah, but, you know, my understanding, your your enterprise level content marketing institute in particular is mostly enterprise, small business and the like. Um, so how is that? How's that changed over the last what are we going on now? 15, 20 years as far as that goes. It, it's changed because I think a lot of marketers feel that content marketing is uh, we've got to put content in all these channels. And there there's not th nothing that's further than the truth than that. And, I, and I'm one of these people that should be at fault for this, Chuck, because I think it was in 2008, I wrote my first book, Get Content, Get Customers. And I said, we have to be everywhere our customers are at online. And maybe that was true then, but it certainly is not true now. Because what happens is we're, we create content in all these different places they're mediocre content. They don't make any impact at all. We're wasting our own resources. We're wasting the time of our audience. It's actually doing nothing. And our friend Doug Kessler would, would basically call this creating a mountain of meh. It's just a mountain of content that enterprises are creating. And 
So I'm sort of on a mission now to come back. And of course, more now I'm working with content entrepreneurs and smaller businesses, but it's the same issue. It's that we're creating content in too many different places. What's happened is these enterprises are doing what I call diversify too quickly. They say, oh, okay, well, we, we got to do the LinkedIn regular content thing, whether that's a newsletter or regular that publishing updates. And we got to do a podcast and we got to be, got to help us all on TikTok. And we got to do in-person events and we got to do all these things. And if you look at Content Marketing Institute research, the average enterprise is creating content 14 to 16 different ways and platforms. And you know what that means? It means they're probably awful at it because you cannot be great at it doing it 14 to 16 different ways if you haven't already built an audience. Hmm. So what they're doing is they're basically just say, oh, okay, let's do a little bit of here. And they're spreading their content energy too, too thick or too thin. And so what I recommend doing now is you've got to start killing some things off. Some things that aren't working, you should just stop doing it. Maybe use them as a listening channel, if anything, and go back and say, how you can you create the best thing that builds an audience over time? And when they become to know, like, and trust you, then you can monetize that multiple ways and diversify. So I would love to go into companies and say, and when we used to do content audits, they would expect me, Chuck, to go in and recommend things to do. And I would never recommend more content to do. I would almost always recommend them getting rid of things. So, hey, you know, what what is that podcast you're doing or what if you're producing this YouTube thing every couple of weeks and it's never consistent and it's not valuable? Let's stop doing that. Let's stop doing this podcast. Let's stop doing this, whatever this thing is on LinkedIn you're doing. And let's create one amazing content experience for that particular audience, deliver consistently over time, build that audience. And then once you build a minimum viable audience, then you can diversify. And by the way, that's what that's the media company model. That's what great media companies have been doing since the dawn of time. They start on one channel with one content type. They deliver consistently over time. And then once they build that audience, then they go to the second thing. And then the third thing. And then you become Red Bull Media House or the New York Times or Aero Electronics that have done it really well instead of just sort of floundering around, creating a ton of ton content and not being able to um, basically follow up on any of your KPIs or measurement because you don't know what it's doing or if it's doing anything at all. Yeah, I, you know, Joe, pre-show we talked about this. This could be a three-part, uh, 45 minute each uh, that we talked about, because I'd love to go through. And honestly, you, you've given me a new lens, if you will, in that when I work with clients or was working consulting and doing whatever and content and social media, one of the things I always told them is pick two. Yeah. Pick two channels that you're going to do. This makes sense. But I love the... the um, the action there of get rid of everything else and and nail it down to two or one or whatever it may be and make sure that it's an experience you're building as opposed to I need something to put on that channel because that's that's an issue that we run into on a regular basis. And it, and you're right. And it doesn't mean, Chuck, that you have to like, let's say that you have a regular thing going that's not working on LinkedIn. It doesn't have it mean that you should not be on LinkedIn. It's right. maybe LinkedIn becomes more of a listening channel for you. Uh, which is fantastic, unless you come up with something consistent. I mean, I talk about it as content energy and you only have, I don't care what kind of budget you have, you only have so much content energy to be great at one or two things. And that's a wonderful thing to do it. So instead of, you know, you got the email and the blog and the podcast and the webinar series and TikTok and LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Facebook groups and on and on. So you got 16 of those. You're basically, you're never going to be great. You're, you're just going to be wandering along at this mediocre level and then you're going to be looking for a new job in 12 months. 
So let's just forget that and let's go and say, how can I figure out how to be, have, let's say, have a great, amazing email newsletter and an amazing podcast. Take all those other resources that you're just so-so at and put them into being this amazing content experience. And I think everything will change for your company. Yeah. And, and I'm not a big fan of, like, for instance, Facebook influencers, but uh, that's what they're doing. They, you know, they do one thing and, they, and that is their Facebook videos or whatever they may be able to do. And it's interesting when you talk about, OK, so let's make sure all of this works. And the concept of social media channels as listening channels, as opposed to participation channels, may be something foreign to people who, who come in there or they're creating, and we've talked about this in, in a lot of different sessions that you've done in content marketing world. And by the way, we'll get into that in a couple of minutes as well. But, um, you know, oh, I want to create a content marketing department and they all need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And we need to be all over the place. Talk to me a little bit about, because we kind of touched on this a little bit, Joe, but talk to me about the concept of create once, multiple, use multiple times, or repurposing content. I mean, and is that still a viable uh, option tactic that you w would recommend? Or are you, are you really more interested in, okay, let's create some great content one place and leave it at that? I, what I would like to see is, so look it, I don't care either way. I'm about data and what works. So it really doesn't matter what I think. What I believe, because I've looked at enough case studies that work, is once you find your differentiation area, we call that in the book, the content tilt, then you find your base. And this is the way that all successful content creators do it. So they build a base. And that means, and to your point, Chuck, you're right. You, you don't, you're not a content creator. What are you? You're a YouTuber. You're a blogger. You're a writer, you're a podcaster. They start on one channel, just like Joe Rogan. He was an amazing podcaster and he pretty much stuck with that. And that was his solution. Mr. Beast became an amazing, or PewDiePie, amazing YouTuber. They pretty much just focused on YouTube. So I want you to focus on building those channels. Now, that doesn't mean that Joe Rogan isn't active on YouTube and Twitter, which he is, but he uses those channels to then you know, build a little relationship there, but ultimately he's trying to get people back to his main base. So that's what I want people to think of. And that's what great media companies do as well. And the end of the day, New York Times is very active on Facebook, very active on Twitter, but they don't want to keep you there. I mean, ultimately their goal is if they build engagement, audience, listening, they're all doing it for the benefit of that base channel, which is ultimately getting to their website so that you sign up for one of their email newsletters. That's or their paid subscription. That's what they're doing. So if you want to take your core podcast and cut that up into little bits and put it on YouTube as marketing uh, promotions, I don't have any problem with that. But I also at the same time, before you cut it up, I want you to look at treating it like a product. So your content is a product and you should be marketing it like a product and you should be partnering with influencers. So like it was a product, because what you've got to do is as quickly as possible, you've got to shorten the time to minimum viable audience where you that's where you can monetize it. Uh, because sometimes it takes time. And if we look at the case studies in the book, the shortest time to monetization was nine months. So if you come to me like Chuck, when an executive comes to me and they say, Joe, I like this content marketing thing. This is fantastic. Uh, I've got six months. What can I expect? I say nothing. You should expect absolutely nothing to happen in six months because it's too short of a time. Now, if you said nine, 12, 18 months, then maybe you can give that a chance. But media companies, this is all about the marathon and not the sprint. And that's why this is so strange for 
marketers to do this because it's always outside of the campaign budget. It's always longer. You need a longer runway. And so that's why it's actually easier in this case to build a great content marketing machine, if you will, because you get so many people at the six to nine month mark that drop off and die. So I hate to say it, but that's the truth. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of alluded to it, but I think, you know, the, and the, the term is bantered around a lot, but we are all these days media companies. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, well, we're all, we all, I mean, it's so we, we have the same business. You and I have the same business model as New York times and New York times is the same business model as Cisco systems. They're all trying to build an audience of some kind and they monetize that audience in up to 10 different ways. It's just that media companies focus on the direct channels, direct revenue methods like sponsorship, like paid subscriptions. And the Cisco systems of the world focus on products and services like selling routers and services for those routers. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It all starts with an, an audience. And an audience, if you want to think of it this way, is your pre-customer database. Drew Davis, our friend, talks about this all the time. Why do you want to build an audience? Because that audience is going to, once they know, like, and trust you, they're going to buy whatever you put in front of them. So I think that this, you're right. We're all media companies. We're all product companies. We're all service companies. We're all affiliate companies. We can all be whatever we want to be from a revenue standpoint. But I want to build a loyal audience first, because if I do that, then I have more options for revenue. And the average let's say average comp media company that actually has a loyal audience, they drive revenues in five, six, seven different ways. Look at Amazon, look at Disney. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If something ever happens, they're very well protected because they've diversified their portfolio, just like you do in stocks. You don't want to be in one stock. They have many different stocks. They're in bonds, they're in crypto, they're in everything, right? So if right. one goes down, they're protected. And that's what we want to think of as marketer. We want lots of growth through these audiences, but we also want to protect ourselves. Yeah, and it, it surely makes sense. And you mentioned Disney. Uh, you know, they they are basically I call it COVID blessings, but there's several things that came out of COVID. And the business model from Disney is, well, look, we're gonna we're gonna really concentrate on streaming for the time being because everybody's home, and this is what it looks like. And now they have built an audience for, you know, when they brought Disneyland back online, everybody's going, oh my gosh, I gotta go. I truly, honestly do. So it's fascinating to see Isn't that. Isn't it something? I mean, Disney, yeah. Disneyland. I mean, Disneyland, Disney World, Disney itself. We're going to see it. We've seen a renaissance of their entire business model. It's it is tremendous what can happen now. Luckily, they started that whole Disney Plus initiative in 19. Right. But again, I mean, it's it, they're they're really their model is everything that we're talking about on this interview. It's just well, that we think of it differently, like, oh, Disney's a product service company. They're sort of a, an anomaly. No, they're not. They're just doing it right. They're doing it very well. And, and you know, probably a sarcastic remark here, but I'm not planning on going to Netflix world tomorrow um, as far as that goes. However, but Netflix has tried to do that, by the way. Are I they mean, really? Absolutely. Netflix. Well, here's the thing is, if you have, I mean, if you look at what Netflix is doing now, they're saying, okay, we've created this amazing audience and we've got this amazing revenue line. But if you realize their growth is slowing because there's not more people. I mean, hard to get that kind of growth rate with the people. They've already got so many millions of customers. So they're like, sure. how do we take this and monetize it multiple ways? And now they've, oh, we're great building the audience. And now we can create new subscription levels. We can sell sponsorships off of that. We can have our own line of products and services, which they will very soon. Um, mm -hmm. Branded products, Netflix products. They've got, you know, you can have Stranger Things, products that are coming out on um, all these things that they're doing merchandising opportunities because they've created the audience and these amazing shows yeah. and brands. So again, 
we can all do that too, but it's hard for us to think that way because most of us haven't built the shows and the show idea, and they also haven't built the audience yet. We sort of are all over the place, and so yeah, follow those models. Yeah, and they're right there in front of us. Absolutely, I know we've uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but I want to you know give a shout out. And I, I I understand you know, you're still connected, but not specifically connected to Content Marketing Institute. Uh, but for those of you who are you know, at, at any level of content marketing, Content Marketing Institute is a place you need to go. I always point it back to folks and say, you know, I'm gonna, and as a matter of fact, when I'm working with agency and they say, hey, we need some information about X, Y, and Z content. I say, I got the place. So I go to Content Marketing Institute. We look at the blog. We look at, you know, the the, uh, the, the videos that you've got as far as that goes. Um, but let's talk specifically about content marketing world. And I'm, I'm probably your biggest cheerleader in that regards when, you know, people say, hey, if, if there's one conference that you were looking forward to go prior to the COVID and now after, what's the one conference if you could only go to one? It's always content marketing world. I mean, there's no doubt about it because, uh, you know, what what you have built and what is still going on. So talk a little bit about content marketing world, what, what people can expect and why is that why they should attend? Well, shoot, I mean, when we started in 2011, Chuck, I'm like, how do we get 100 and 150 people to Cleveland, Ohio around a concept that nobody gets yet? They're like, what is content marketing? And we were lucky in September of 2011 to actually, I think we had 660 people that year. And that was the one time when I knew that I didn't have to go out and find a real job, Chuck. It was actually looking out. I peeled the curtain back and I was backstage before the opening keynote. And I'm and David Meerman Scott's over here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think we're going to make it. And I tell my wife and it was a very emotional moment. And then that's just continued on to, you know, before the pandemic, we'd had, had 4,000 delegates from, I think, more than 50 countries. It was just incredible. And then, you know, we had this little high hybrid thing or a virtual thing last year. And now we're back on hybrid and I'm excited. Sounds like things are going well. We're going to be on and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting with friends and family. But I think for those people that have never been to content marketing world, the people that go to content marketing world are you have the true believers there. And then you have the people that are really struggling that can learn from those true, true believers. And you'll never find a better core of speakers about the different areas of content marketing than content marketing world. And I'm just, I'm honored to always be a part of it. And I'm looking forward. I know my talk is this year is how, you know, how, what can enterprises learn from the mom and pops? We've got this great research that we've just come up with. We're going to release it in a couple of weeks at the tilt. And it's, it's talking about what, small content creators do that's different than enterprises. And it's a lot of the things that we're talking about. They really focus. And because they don't have all these resources, they don't create content in all these channels. But at the same time, then they create an amazing base and they grow exceptionally fast and much faster than enterprises. And you're shaking your head. You're like, that shouldn't be a thing. I mean, with these enterprises have such big budgets and more resources than you could throw a stick at. And you're like, and you've got a one or two person team that's that basically out create out audience developing them. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I call it my, my favorite moniker for content marketing world is it's my favorite walk the hallways conference. I have, I mean, grant, granted, amazing content in the presentations and the workshops, but I have some amazing conversations and, and I'm privileged, quite frankly, because, you know, as a, as a speaker's note, keynote moderator, I hang out with everybody and honestly, probably out of my 26 shows, I think 13 of them have been speakers from content marketing world. And you keep mentioning, you know, like and trust Bob Berg and Tamson Webster and Andrew Davis and the like. But yeah, it's, it, I, I always say to them, uh, anybody that's considering it, it is one of the best places you are going to 
not only learn, but you're also going to develop relationships that will last you uh, as a lifetime, basically. So, and I've seen that with us over the last seven, eight years. Uh, not only that, but some really cool entertainment and, and things going on. So we're excited for that. Let's talk specifically about content because I know, and I love the way that you put this, the second edition, which is the, uh, you know, it, it basically for you, it's the expanded and much improved edition, I think is the way you put it, something like that. But um, so talk to me about Content Inc., what, what that's all about. And uh, where, and obviously people can find you on Amazon, but talk, sure. talk to me about the, that book itself and, and you know, what, what you cover in the book. Yeah. So, I mean, Content Inc. was my thir- third book that I wrote in 2015. And it was this model for companies that content marketing model for companies that didn't have a huge budget. Like, and what, and I wanted to know, like, uh, how are these content creators becoming successful? And we looked at and all these models and we re-engineered the case studies and figured out there was a six step methodology. It's now seven steps. But to be honest with you, Chuck, I mean, at, right before the pandemic, I was writing, I just wrote my mystery thriller. You can see it back here with the will yeah. to die. It did fairly well, and I was very much content on leaving marketing behind, and I was going to be a thriller writer, and I was just like, this is my thing, and I started working on the second edition, just had our kickoff party for the the launch of the book, and then the pandemic hit us. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to think I'm, I don't know if anything changes, whatever, but I started to get all these messages from some of our friends who got let go from their jobs and they're changing, and they were asking me, you know, is this Content Inc. method still a thing? Like, I want to start a uh, content-based business, or I've got this new job in content marketing. Does this model work? And I said, there's something here. And then I looked at my podcast downloads for Content Inc. And I hadn't produced a podcast for two years and my podcast <laughs> downloads were going up. And I'm like, that's weird. And I called McGraw-Hill and I said, my email, McGraw-Hill. And I said, uh, are you seeing anything with the Content Inc. book from 15? Is it is it starting to do well? And they said, yeah. Like, we're, did you do a promotion around it? You're starting to sell more <laughs> copies. And I'm like, Okay, this is weird, and I realized that, that right now is sort of the the best time for that kind of a model where you have so many people creating content, not only in enterprises but everywhere. Uh, I think that the fastest growing type of entrepreneurship is content entrepreneurship. You see it on YouTube and Twitch and podcasts and e-newsletters and Substack, and the problem is they don't have a business model. Content Inc. is that business model. We redid the whole thing. We went out and did a hundred more interviews, looked at new case studies, changed the model. So we start at the strategy. We know exactly how long you need to build the base. There's a very much a timeline. We believe it takes about five years to get to about $5 million in asset valuation. Uh, I got a whole new section in there on, you know, selling or go big. Do you want to become a large content enterprise or do you want to sell the organization? Like, like my wife and I sold Content Marketing Institute. So I put in the whole thing and I, it's probably, I, I love all my books, uh, Chuck, I do, but this is, this timing of this book is the best. Um, with everything that's happened with the pandemic, um, everything that's happening with new technology, with all this content creation and people just, you know, content run amok and people not knowing the business model. So that's, I'm just excited about it being out there. And so now I'm talking everywhere and talking with you and whoever yeah. else I can to say, look, get a business model. This is the business model for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing too about content marketing world. I mean, they are a lot of case studies, not just somebody up there lecturing you how to do content. We you do a lot of case studies in that regard. And I think that's one of the ways that people learn better 
on how to use content in your book is like that, you know, case studies of what works, what doesn't, and, and we take it from there. And we'll take a couple of minutes here, Joe, because like I said, we could do three-parter. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But give us a couple of examples, if you would, and you can genericize them if you would. Robert Rose, our good friend, was on, and he was kind of specific on this. But who are examples of brands or individuals that are doing content marketing right and then are there a couple examples of, whoops, uh, that was really not a good thing. So. Well, I'd like, yeah, I mean, I've got a whole bunch of specifics. We, we talked, I've got literally hundreds in the book. I'll give you a couple of good ones. Uh, you know, our friend, you and I know them both. We worked at uh, Content Marketing Institute, Wally Koval. He, mm -hmm. starts, uh, he starts on Instagram. Uh, he started a channel called Accidentally Wes Anderson, and he published a um, a photo every day on Instagram that looked a little bit like it was out of a Wes Anderson movie. And what was missing was all the detail with that location. And he's turned that into a little tourism site. Uh, he went from a couple thousand to now over a million followers. He got a New York uh, the Times bestselling book out of it. He's creating this amazing multi-million multi dollar enterprise from just delivering a very simple Instagram photo every day. But he did that for a couple of years, built that minimum viable audience, and now he's diversifying. So I love that case study. Another great one in the book is uh, Jenny Doan from Missouri Star Quilt Company. I learned this one from Andrew Davis. You know, she wanted to know is is there a way that somebody can uh, sew a quilt together and not take so long? And she's created this thing called Quick, quick Quilting in Hamilton, Missouri. And every I think it's twice a week she does these quick quilting tutorials, and it's very very low tech but she's got a hundred plus thousand followers on, um, on YouTube now. And I think her business last year went from, you know, in like five years went from hardly anything to $40 million. And she did that by building an audience on YouTube, but it's the same model. It's build the base first. Don't be everywhere. Just be great at one thing. And that's, I just, I I'm saying it over and over again, Chuck, because I just want to get Good. it through marketers heads that that's the best way to do it. If you want to build an audience. And I mean, I, I'm not going to mention the specifics with the, stuff that's gone wrong. Right. I've seen way more go wrong than go right, but it's the same thing over and over again. When I'm asked to go in and we do interviews with the team and we do a preliminary content audit and I basically sit down with the content champion that brings us in and they say, Joe, what's wrong? And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what's the, why are you there? What are you creating in that channel? How is that, how is that information even differentiated? How are you going to cut through all the clutter? Like there's no show format there. Where's your consistency over here? It's just all over the place. So sometimes it's better to just cut bait as they say, and let's just say, okay, look, we can't, we can't behave like this anymore. I mean, this is, you are wasting your time, your resources, you're wasting your customer's time. This is not how it's done. I mean, we're creating more content than anything else we do in an organization. That's the thing that we create the most of, no matter what you product you serve. It's like, we have to treat it with more respect. So yeah. you, you just need to, I would just recommend to everyone, look at what you're doing, do an audit. You would be surprised at all the content coming out of your organization that's absolutely doing nothing and wasting people's time. And you can better use that resources to make a positive impact somewhere else. Yeah. And, and I think you've touched on a really good point. And we, we talked about it earlier about minimum viable. What does that look like? Cut out the the, the, the debt, debtress, if, if that word is correct. Um, you know, be able, be able to get rid of the stuff. But the other part of that is as a marketer for 35 plus, and you've been around for a long time as well, and working both agency and corporate, 
the hardest thing to do is say, you know what, that's not working. And it's really hard for somebody who potentially has put that together or a boss who's bought off on that or a client who said, yes, that's let's go. And this is what it looks like. It takes a lot of guts, quite frankly, to come to a client and say, you know what, this strategy we tried for six months isn't working. We need to pivot and be able to do something different and be able to work that out. So I mean, that's really cool. Well, and Joe, the other uh, thing is and a lot of times those things don't work because we lead with our KPIs being product first. Right. And they can't right. be. And unfortunately, I'd, I'd love them if they were. Wouldn't it make life simpler? It'd make business simpler if everything was, I just want to sell more stuff here. And that, no, you have to focus on your audience's needs first, your audience's mm. outcome. How do I help them live a better life, get a better job? You have to start there first. And you focus on audience first, the sales will come second. And a lot, yeah, of, and a lot of marketers don't do that. And that's Marcus Sheridan. I mean, I had Marcus on a show and his book, you know, they, they, they ask, we answered. Uh, that that is the basics of that. Of look, we're going to listen to you first, and then we're going to figure out how we can help you. And we, and this is a guy who went in 2008 with a downturn and and multiplied his business and in, in in ground pools for gosh sakes. So uh, some interesting stuff going on. Um, okay, again, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the tilt. And uh, first of all, tell us uh, somewhat about. And honestly, guys, if you aren't aren't and you don't have to be a content creator to enjoy the tilt and find some really good information twice week twice weekly newsletter that joe puts out but talk talk to me about that and you know what that's all about and and how the audience can uh, can benefit yeah i mean go, go back go back to what i was talking about where i i left writing mysteries and now i'm all in i you know rewrote content inc and i was like that's not going to be enough and and I'm, you know me, Chuck, you and I have known each other a long time. And when I'm in, I'm in. And I basically came back in and then said, if I just do the book, I'm doing a disservice because we need to help content creators and marketers ongoing understand this thing. So that's why the tilt was created. So the book is a great model. Absolutely use it. I want people to buy it. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm selling books here, but what I really want is I want you to keep up the practice, understand the new tools that are out there and how you can deliver revenues quicker. I mean, that's, I want to shorten the time that um, you're in that limbo area where you're not seeing results. So that's what the tilt wants to do. So we created, okay, every Tuesday and every Friday, we're going to send out a full email. You don't have to click through to anything if you don't want to. It's all there. It's kind of in likes of the hustle or the morning brew and you get everything you need that's happened over the last couple of days and you get some really good case studies in it as well. And then usually one educational thing that we focus on for the week, like how do you find your content tilt or how do you create a content mission statement or something like that? And so that's it, we're, we're all in. We've got, I think almost 8,500 subscribers. It's been six wow. weeks, eight weeks. We're wow. really excited about that. We're getting a huge open rate. Um, we're just trying to help people at this point. So that, and, and so that's it. I'm just like, I can't just do the book, Chuck. I've got yeah. I've got to do something else. So this will be the ongoing communication yeah. with our yeah, audience. You, you and me both. I mean, my my business coach said three legged stool. I came back here and said three legged stool plus a seat. So <laughs> I was able to kind of work that through, but but be able to do that. Um, Joe, believe it or not, like we I talked about, you know, forty minutes or so. We'll see where that works, but. 
I, I would be remiss and we'll, you know, the end of the show is always talking about the Pay It Forward Tuesdays Foundation, but talk to me a little bit about the Orange Effect Foundation. I know the background behind that, but I think uh, my audience would greatly appreciate learning more about that because I know it's one of your passions and a personal passion for that. Matter. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know the story, a personal passion, my, my oldest uh, born uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum at two years old uh, was not verbal uh, and he's three years old, still not verbal. And my wife and I were like, okay, what do we do here? <clears throat> and got him into aggressive speech and play therapy. Uh, he was able to stop using a tutor by the age of eight. And now he's a sophomore in college. He's doing fantastic. But it was that aggressive speech therapy that made all the difference. At the time, we were able to afford it. We were lucky. What I found through this whole process is there's families that aren't able to afford speech therapy. There's a lot of great organizations out there that are doing work with autism and apraxia, but they're, they're not... Um, they're mostly research-based. And so what we for a focus on an Orange Effect Foundation started this initiative in 2007, uh, 501c3 in 2014. And all we do is raise funds to deliver uh, speech therapy services directly to the children and families that need it. We now have almost 250 children that we provide grants for in about 35 different states. It's it's something, it's small. We have way more need. We get way more applications. We don't have enough that we can serve. So if anybody would like to donate the cause, I, it's, it's my favorite. It's the only cause that I, that I have uh, from a philanthropic standpoint, uh, theorangeeffect.org. Uh, so we've been Let's see. Almost almost twenty years. I've been I've been working on this initiative, but yeah, seven seven eight years officially. Five hundred one c three, and we have all kinds of fundraising activities, and this is what we do. Just fifty dollars covers one hour of speech therapy, folks. So that's God. all. That's all we do. God bless you, Joe. Greatly appreciate what you do in that regard. Um, so we're going to wrap up with a couple of you know my my standard questions as we talked about. Um, I won't go into what's your favorite social media channel because, you know, you, you although if you want to no, 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 bring it on, let's do so it. What's, what's your favorite social media channel? What do you like and what don't you like? My, my favorite social media probably tie between uh, I probably use Twitter the most, but Twitter and LinkedIn are my two favorite social media channels. I haven't even I mean, I've seen TikTok. I'm really not on it. I was very bullish on Clubhouse at the short term. Not so much now. If I was looking at social audio, I'm a little bit more in the Twitter spaces camp. But again, I, I do think there's a social audio component, but I know LinkedIn is coming out with something too. So, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's in the social audio camp right now. But if I had to say, you know, where I built my, and a lot of that's from time. I built my audiences on Twitter and LinkedIn a long time ago. I started about the same time you did. I was one of the first ones on Twitter. Um, and so, you know, you get that many followers, it starts to work fairly well for you. I'm not on Facebook hardly at all. Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and maybe just for personal things every once in a while, I'll say, hey, I'm still alive, but I don't use it for business at all. Yeah, I appreciate that, too. And uh, that kind of brings it to where people are going to get in touch with you. I'll put this up, although you should look at Joe Paluzzi, uh, be able to find him on LinkedIn. Joe is one. I think all 26 of my guests so far are of the same cloth, if you will, in that, yeah, Joe may be the, the founder of Content Marketing Institute and the, the author and all the stuff he's doing. He's accessible. So send out something, Absolutely. you know, and LinkedIn, I, I, uh, Twitter at Joe Polizzi on Twitter, either one I'm, I'm around, you send me a note. It may take me a day or two, but I always get back to you. 
Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons that I enjoy hanging out with you, Joe. Quite frankly, because you know we're all like that, and being able to be accessible is so very important these days. And so, finally, let's talk about three takeaways. What would you give my audience as far as three takeaways from this conversation? I would. Pr- I'd probably say first of all, um, find your different, find your content tilt for what you're doing. Find your differentiation area. You know, your skill mixed with what your audience's d- desire is. That's your sweet spot, and then. You have to find the hook. You have to find your differentiation if you're going to cut through all that clutter. And I would go back through my content and make sure that that is actually a thing. The thing that kills most content marketing programs is when you do find that base, it's either lack of consistency or you don't have the differentiation. So go back and look at your consistency and see, are you delivering? That's a promise to your customers. And are you delivering on a regular basis? And I I guess the last thing is do a cursory content audit and really start, maybe rank all the things that you're doing. And, and you've got to cut out in order to be great at one or two things, you, you have to cut out some of those resources somewhere that are sort of wasting everybody's time and is not additive to any anything. So I would take those resources and make sure that you can add them down here and be absolutely fantastic and create an, a remarkable content experience for somebody. So I would say maybe the rest of 2021 is a good time to look at two or three things, things to kill or just start with one. And then take the resources from that and say, and you can make the case in your organization, we're getting rid of this so that we can be better at this because I've got a better business case over here. So those are probably the three things I would do. Yeah, that makes sense. And Joe, you know, it, it's honestly, it fascinates me, but believe this or right now, we're at four minutes, 40 minutes and 39 seconds. I told you 41. That's it. And sure enough, that's, that's what, it, what it looks like. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, Lucy, I, you know, I, and this may sound a little, little, little weird, but I am so looking forward to hugging you, brother. I cannot tell you how much. Just a couple months. September. I know yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely. So greatly appreciate the time. It goes by way too fast. And believe me, I'm, you know, I'm starting to circle back around like Tamsin Webster's got, you know, the new red thread book. I may have her back on. I want to have you back on. Uh, we may even, I haven't even gotten as far in a test yet, but we may do conversations from content marketing world great. and do I'm something in. different on yeah, that. Let so, me know. Well, yeah. That'd be great. All right, Joe Polisi, I greatly appreciate you and I greatly appreciate the time that you've done uh, with us today. And, um, you know, I'll use this too as, if you have not seen the now 26 episodes uh, of Conversation, you can find me on YouTube and I'll mention that later. But uh, go back through because we talked about Bob Berg and we talked about Andrew Davis and a wide variety of people that are on there. So, Joe, again, God bless. Thank you for the time and, and say hi to Pam for me. Tell her I'm looking forward to, to uh, hugging her as well. For, I'm for, sure. for sure. <laughs> that's right. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, man. All right. So that's another edition, believe us or not, of content. Uh, sorry, conversations with Chuck Hester. We talked about content a lot. Uh, on to uh, my Pay It Forward Minute and the Pay It Forward Tuesdays initiative. Special shout out as usual to the Pay It Forward Six, Adam Sinkis, Jennifer Radke, Bob Shears, Ryan Basilico, and Jeff Pochet. Uh, we are now accepting inv- uh, nominations for June. I uh, will talk about our May uh, recipient in a second, but you can visit payitforwardtuesdays.org and you can get a chance to take a look at that and be able to nominate either yourself or someone that you feel is uh, worthy of having this consultation with six individuals close to three hours of consultation work on PR, marketing, um, you know, business strategy, all of that is available through payitforwardtuesdays.org. And if you are a company or a small organization that provides products and services to the small business and entrepreneurial community, we are looking for sponsors that can provide services and products in kind 
for our 2021 recipients. Great way to pay it forward while building brand equity in your community. And you can contact me in there and on for details. And next week, as I mentioned, one of my favorite people, I always tell people if they are depressed, set up a meeting with this person. This is Lindsay Sutherland Bowl. She's the founder of She Walks. She is actually walking 4,545 miles across Canada on a Take Back Your Power tour walk to raise 250000 for six recovery and treatment centers across that country. And please feel free to share this podcast with your friends and connections. The replay will post very soon on Facebook and YouTube. Also on Anchor FM, you can get the audio of the podcast. It'll be found on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other channels. So that's it for this week. And make sure you take a minute to acknowledge someone today and say thank you for what you do for me personally or in business. Always important to do that. And until next time, this is Chuck Esther reminding you to stay well, stay healthy, and always pay it forward.